morning. Great to see you all in worship uh, this morning. For those of you watching online, whether it's Facebook, New NewLife.NYC, or YouTube, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor of New Life Fellowship Church here in Queens, and it is a joy to have you with us. Uh, please uh, turn to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. We're going to conclude our series on Advent. This is our fourth and final uh, sermon on this wonderful season in the life of the church. And one of the great things about Advent is we get an opportunity every year to re-examine a familiar cast of characters uh, every year. And so when we think about Advent and Christmas, we are reintroduced to people like John the Baptist and Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph, of course. But today we're going to focus on another character that often can get overlooked in terms of our own personal lives and in our world. We're going to look at King Herod today, King Herod. And what you need to know, you might not know much about the historical Herod that lived a few thousand years ago, but King Herod, the spirit of Herod, shows up every day in our world and every day in our lives. And so we're going to look at that today. And Advent really gives us an opportunity every year to ask ourselves a question. Will I choose the way of Herod or will I choose the way of King Jesus? That's the invitation for us every single year. And so Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse number 1, hear the word of the Lord. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came from Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Let's pray together. Lord, Open our hearts today, open our eyes, open our ears, that we would hear and receive every gift from the Holy Spirit this day. Give us revelation, Lord, and speak to our hearts and our situations. Speak to what we're experiencing this day. We pray these things in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. One of the constant themes in the book of uh, the Gospels, and as it pertains to Advent, as it pertains to uh, Christmas, is this one singular truth. That in the Advent and Christmas stories, God has a way of interrupting every single character. And they are reminded that they are not in control. God interrupts Mary. God interrupts Joseph. God interrupts Zechariah. God interrupts Elizabeth. And they are reminded over and over again that they are not in control. And so when we look at their lives and look at these stories, we are reminded something about our own lives that God has a way of interrupting our lives and reminding us that we are not in control. There's something disturbing about this, isn't there? Because we, let me talk in the eye, I love to be in control. And when we feel out of control and I feel out of control, we try to find something or someone that we can exert some form of control over so we can feel better about ourselves. Whenever I'm stressed, whenever I'm confused, whenever I'm anxious, whenever I'm overwhelmed, I feel out of control. And my go-to strategy whenever I feel out of control is to do one thing. Whenever I feel overwhelmed, whenever I feel anxious, whenever I feel out of control, I, I, have, I have one thing that I typically tend to do to help me. 
I start cleaning the house. I start cleaning the house. That's what I, I do. You thought I was going to say pray and I go to God. No, I start cleaning the house. I start sweeping, which is why Rosie doesn't mind when I'm stressed out. It's just like this is a pretty good deal here. Uh, why? Because I, I'm sweeping, I'm, I'm dusting, I'm washing the dishes, I'm drying them. Because if everything else is out of control, maybe I can control something in my life. And yet, when the last dish is dried, and when the last shelf is dusted, and when the broom is put away, I'm reminded of this singular reality that no matter how clean the house is, I'm still not in control. Barbara Brown Taylor, she gets at this in one of her famous quotes that I come back to over and over again. She says, we do not lose control of our lives. What we lose is the illusion that we were ever in control in the first place. We are all control freaks to one extent or another. We like to control our future, control how much pain enters into our lives, control the temperature in our homes. We like holding the remote control. We like the feeling of being in control. But inevitably, we will come across life and circumstances, forces that seek to remind us we are not in control. Children have a way of reminding us we're not in control. Traffic, amen, has a way of reminding us we're not in control. Sickness reminds us we are not in control. A global pandemic has reminded every single one of us that we are not in control. Death reminds us that we are not in control. And the invitation before us is when we don't feel in control, where do we go? Do we go the way of King Herod? Or do we go the way of King Jesus? In our text this morning, we come across a man who's been in control his entire life. And now he's faced with a new reality that another king has come. And he just can't handle it. When we pick up in our text in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2, we have a familiar scene with familiar characters. We have Mary, we have Joseph, we have Jesus now, Magi and Herod. Jesus in this story has already been born and these people called Magi come on the scene letting King Herod know that there's another king that has been born. This Magi, there's, they're these priestly group of astrologers from Persia or Babylon and they come with this news and Herod hears this news and immediately begins to panic. On the outside, Herod is stable. On the outside, Herod is centered. On the outside, he looks cool. But on the inside, he's paranoid. Because he knows that his time in being in absolute control might be up. And so because he's a paranoid king, he starts to create a sneaky plan that he presents to the Magi. He says, listen, I want to get in on this too. Whenever you find this king... Text me, and when I get that text, I'll come right over, and I'll worship this new king with you. And so the Magi go off to find this newborn king. And when they arrive, they come with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Wonderful, wonderful gifts. But as many as pointed out, I wonder how practical, I always wonder, how practical are these gifts? Did, did Mary and Joseph really need gold, frankincense, and myrrh? I, I came across something that said when the, when the wise men left, 
three wiser women showed up on the scene with exactly what Joseph and Mary uh, needed. They came with fresh diapers and <laughs> casseroles for the week and wine. I mean, yeah, yeah, we, we, we need some three wiser women. Amen. Magi here through a dream that they should not go back to Herod because he's conniving and he's sneaky and he's trying to manipulate everything. And so they go back another way. Now, when we look at the story, it's easy to want to identify ourselves with various characters. We want to be Mary, don't we? Those who open ourselves to Jesus, we want to say yes. We want to be just. But what we also have to think about during this Advent season is We are also, in many ways, like Herod. That Herod is a picture of our world and a picture of our lives. And what we are invited into is a life of relinquishing control. Herod realizes a new reality has come and he can't handle it. And in this new day, he becomes violent. Why? Because his life is marked by control and power. He's used to calling the shots. He's used to predictability. He's used to everything around him and everyone around him performing and living exactly how he wants them to be. And what he's realizing is it's not always going to be like that. I've had to discover and rediscover this over and over and over again as a parent. I'm having to learn this lesson afresh. Letting go of appropriate control as a parent is hard. Say amen, somebody. Just this is hard. I like things to be predictable. But parenting is anything but predictable. Control manifests in ways that I want things to remain the way it's always been. And when things don't unfold the way it always has, I want to do everything I can to keep things as much the same as possible. Our daughter, Karis, has turned 12. And in my mind, I still think she's four. The other day, I made waffles for her and made some breakfast, and I put the butter on it and the syrup on it, and and then I start cutting the, the waffles for her. And she's like, Dad, you don't have to cut the waffles from me anymore. You might choke, baby. It's okay. No, no, no. There's something inside of me. I want it always to be like it was. Now she's making her own decisions and doing whatever she... and, and, And I'm reminded that I'm not in control as I think I am. Parenting is the act of learning how to let go. I heard Paul Tripp, who's a wonderful author, he said, successful parenting is about rightful, the rightful God-ordained loss of control. The goal of parenting is to raise children who were once totally dependent on us to be independent, mature people who with reliance on God and proper connectedness to the Christian community are able to stand on their own two feet. This is not just parenting, though. This has to do with all kinds of relationships that we find ourselves a part of. The way of Herod is, because it's marked by control, Herod is marked by uniformity as well. Herod only has the people around him that always agree with him, that see issues in the way he sees it exactly. Exactly. 
And if they don't, Herod has no use for these people. He has little capacity to open himself to another way of seeing the world. And I understand this, and I think you understand this as well. Isn't this one of the greatest challenges in our society today? That we don't have the emotional capacity to be with others who see the world different than we do. And hear me out. I'm not talking about disregarding our values. I'm not talking about disregarding biblical and theological convictions. But we have a hard time of moving close to people who don't see everything the way we see it. Herod is threatened by difference. Anxious about disagreement. And so he wants to control anything that threatens his peace. And as a result of this way of control, power, manipulation, of trying to secure his own peace, Herod lives really with two forces at work in him. And I imagine two forces that are in work with you as well. When I think about a life that's marked by needing to have everything the way I want it, control, power, it leads to two insidious ways of being. The first is this. Herod is marked by an existence of defensiveness. His very existence is marked by defensiveness. And it is quite ironic because Herod, being the king, would have the most security around him. And yet, he was the most insecure person in the land. Because he viewed everyone as a threat. He was an unstable man to begin with. There are reports about how dangerous he was. You don't invite him to Christmas parties. You know, at one point, he kills three of his own sons so he can keep the crown. The emperor of Rome said that it would be better to be Herod's pig than his own son. Imagine the prison Herod lives in when everyone is seen as a threat. When everyone who's different from him sees the world different than him is seen as a threat that must be eliminated. And when your life is marked by seeing people in this way, when your life is marked by being in control, when your life is marked by being strong and capable, it leads to all kinds of prisons. And every person you meet becomes a threat. And what begins to happen is we begin to erect walls of protection to keep people at a safe distance so as to keep, them, keep ourselves away from the truth that we are not in control, not all-powerful, not all-knowing, not all-capable. And yet, this is the existence that we tend to live, one that's marked by defensiveness. I understand this. I know what it's like to want to project out to the world that I am capable, competent, and that any attempt in my life often, because it can be marked by perfectionism, keeps people at a distance. That's my, the gravitational pull of my soul. And what begins to happen is whenever my competence is questioned, whenever the truth is that I don't know what I'm talking about, others become a threat to me. 
I remember my first time preaching at New Life, 2008, and I, I preached here with two services, and I preached, and, and, and I, I gave a sermon. I thought it was great, and, and then Pastor Pete calls me to the side and says, hey, hey, Rich, let's talk about your sermon. I said, why are we talking about my sermon? Why would we do that? that? That was a good sermon. It blessed a lot of people. Why would we talk about my sermon? You know, we have a thing where after the first service, we talk about our sermon to try to improve it for the second service, and I'm thinking, why would we do that? There's nothing that we need to do about it, and the first thing he said to me was, do you know what, you, very gently, do you know what you can do? And I'm thinking, do you know what you can do? And, 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 and um, I had just become a pastor, so I, I, I couldn't say that out loud, you know. And, and, and so I said, no, what, what should I do? And everything inside of me was so defensive. And he was so gentle with me. But I was so fragile. Anyone know what I'm talking about here? This fragility that we all carry of being exposed. When I, when I wrote my first book a couple of years ago, I remember getting my, the first round of edits from my, my editor. And I thought my editor was going to say, wow, what a remarkable book. I've never read anything like this on the first shot. I have no feedback for you. This is fantastic. This is perfection. That's what I thought she was going to say. I was like, yeah, that's what she did. And, and then she goes, you know, part of the email was take a deep breath. I was like, take a deep breath. Well, why do I need to take a deep breath for, you know? And I re read the first two paragraphs and was so just overwhelmed. So much so, true story, I told Rosie, I said, honey, could you sit next to me and hold my hand as I read the rest of this email here? And I read all her cr criticisms and points of reflection with Rosie holding my hand. What? so fragile and I realize so much of my fragility comes because I have put so much stock in creating a profile creating an, a, a false self and so any false self that I've erected must be protected which is why I think Jesus, one of the reasons why Jesus' words in the Gospels is so important is, is because it's essentially trying to tear down the walls of the false self that we've constructed. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, that is really the antidote for the way of Herod. Because to be poor in spirit is essentially this. It's to choose to live a life that's not marked by protecting, proving, possessing. That's what poverty is. There's nothing to protect. There's nothing to possess. There's nothing to prove. Imagine the kind of freedom we can live with when this becomes our mode of being. Nothing to protect. Nothing to possess. Nothing to prove. And this is what Jesus invites us into. And yet... To live in this way where we're not overtaken by the criticisms of others. Nor are we basing our identity on the praise of others. To live this life is so very difficult. I think about what Henry Nouwen said, the great author. Henry Nouwen says these words. He says, at issue here is the question, to whom do I belong? God or to the world? Many of my daily preoccupations suggest that I belong more to the world than to God. A little criticism makes me angry, and a little rejection makes me depressed. A little praise raises my spirits, and a little success excites me. It takes very little to raise me up or thrust me down. Are you with me? 
He says, often like I am like a small boat on the ocean, completely at the mercy of its waves. All the time and energy I spend in keeping some kind of balance and preventing myself from being tipped over and drowning shows that my life is mostly a struggle for survival. Not a holy struggle, but an anxious struggle resulting from the mistaken idea that it is the world that defines me. Herod is living a life of defensiveness, insecurity. But beyond that, there's something else going on in his soul. I wonder if you can identify with it as well. The reason why Herod responds in the way he does is because his life is marked by scarcity. He lives a scarcity existence. There's just not enough to go around in Herod's mind. And so he lives what some people call a zero-sum game. He lives according to the zero-sum game. The zero-sum game very simply says this. In order for me to succeed, you have to fail. In order for me to look good, you need to look bad. In order for me to be seen, you need to disappear. In order for me to be celebrated, you need to be separated. In order for me to be recognized, you need to be restricted. We see this in politics all the time. It's a scarcity existence. It's a zero-sum game existence. But we see this in our lives as well. You ever wonder why do you have a hard time celebrating other success? Why do you have a hard time really looking at other people? I am so happy for you. It's often the case because when we highlight other people and their success, it reminds us of what I don't have. And so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lend my voice there when I'm so caught up in the reality of where I'm at. It's a scarcity mentality. There's not enough to go around. And so we live two ways. The scarcity mentality, we see it with Herod, is we either live our lives clinging to what we have for fear of losing it, or we live our lives coveting what others have because what we have is never enough. And so our lives are marked by all kinds of envy, jealousy, comparison. That's Herod. That's me. That's you. I know what it's like to live my life and have envy and jealousy and comparison so dominate my life. When we moved into our apartment in Queens, where we're at, I mean, love, I mean, loved our apartment in Queens. We have a view of the city. I mean, it's way far. I mean, we see the, the skyline of Manhattan. It's just like, it's way out there. But at least we could see, like, buildings, you know. It, it's, it's, it's spacious for New York City standards. We feel really good. And I remember, I never forgot the first time we, we stepped into this apartment, felt great about it. And it was on Thanksgiving uh, week a few years ago. And we took a drive to visit a cousin who lived someplace else in the south. And walking in, I was so happy with my apartment in New York. And then I went to his house. And I walk in and, wow, those are some tall ceilings. And, 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 and you have three driveways. And, wow. And, and, and it takes you like multiple, multiple seconds to get from one part of the house to the other side. It's just like, 
like, I'm not exaggerating, like seconds. I'm not saying minutes. I'm saying seconds. But 30, 40 seconds to get from one side of the house. That's a big house. And, you know, and, and us, it takes two seconds to get from one place to the next. It's living room, kitchen. Now, that's where we're at here. And, and so I'm looking at his. I'm thinking, well, this is, this is not good. Uh, this is not good. And next to you know, I'm coveting. Ungrateful for all the gifts that God has. This is a herod existence. Clinging, coveting, holding on, grasping. If Herod only knew what was possible, brothers and sisters, that he did not have to live a clinging existence, a coveting existence. And the reason he lived this way is because of deep fear. Herod is the biggest bully out there. And yet what many people don't know is that the biggest bullies are usually the most anxious ones. The people who are abusers, the people who are always trying to control and dominate others are usually the ones or usually always the ones who are the most fearful, who carry the most anxiety. If Herod only knew that in the kingdom of God there's a lot to go around, if Herod, Herod did not know that to worship King Jesus didn't mean that he had to come down from his throne. Herod could have remained king under the king. Herod could have remained and, and offered leadership to that part of the world under King Jesus. But for Herod, it was, I'm either the entire king or no king at all. It's a scarcity existence. And yet what Jesus is inviting us into is a recognition that in the kingdom of God, there's much to go around. In the kingdom of God, there's no need to be marked by fear. And look what it does to Herod. It crushes him. He's marked by fear, anger, violence, insecure. He's closed off. And anytime we are exhibiting those Feelings or responses, it's showing all the ways that we're clinging. A good exercise this week, how to identify the inner Herod that lives within me and lives within you. Note the times when you become so irritable. Note the times when just a disproportionate sense of anger emerges. Notice the times when you just feel incredibly anxious. It's probably you're trying to hold on to something. And Jesus is inviting you to open your hands. I want, listen, this week we're in a new reality with this pandemic. We've planned Christmas Eve services. We've planned Blue Christmas. We planned New Year's Eve. We planned the whole thing. I, I know what I want. I, I want to do everything that we've planned the way that we've planned it. And yet I can live in existence that's just grasping and holding on. Nothing's going to change. Or I can live open-handed and say, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done. I don't know what's happening. I don't have the answers. But you do. And I'm going to entrust my life to you. Trust. The way that we dispel the way of Herod is by trusting in King Jesus. Maybe you're single and you've been burdened by trying to control every facet of your romantic fortunes. 
Today, Jesus is inviting you to trust him. Maybe you're married and you've been burdened by trying to control your spouse every single day. Today, Jesus is inviting you to trust him. Maybe you're a new season of life, retired or whatever it might be, and and you're feeling burdened by this new season that awaits you. The invitation is to trust in King Jesus. Why? Because only Jesus can bear the weight of the world. Herod, I, I wish somebody would go to Herod and say, Herod, Herod, you don't have to live an insecure existence. You're secure in the love of God. You don't have to live a scarcity existence. God is provider. You don't have to be afraid. God is with you. And those are the words that we need to hear every single day. Really, if I can close this message, there are four declarations that I think we need to hold on to. Four invitations in the form of declarations. And I wonder in a world that's increasingly out of control, unpredictable, I wonder if we are to hold these declarations before God. Four declarations that I believe Herod was invited into and said no to. Four declarations and invitations that you are invited into every single day and you have the opportunity to say yes. The first declaration is, I don't know. There's great freedom in saying, I don't know. I don't have the answers. The second declaration is, I need help. I'm not as powerful as I'm letting people think I am. I need help. The third is, I am loved. I am loved. The fourth is, Christ is enough. Imagine if Herod lived in that way. I don't know. I need help. I am loved. Christ is enough. Imagine the freedom he would have lived with. Imagine the freedom you would live with. If every single day you said, I don't know. I need help. I am loved. Christ is enough. And that's what we are invited into this Advent season, to be reminded that Christ is enough. Amen. Let's pray together. I wonder today, where are you angry, irritable? Where are you trying to make things happen in your own strength? Where are you trying to control the outcomes? Where are you invited today to trust Jesus? Lord, there lives within us the mini King Herod in all of us. Someone who's afraid, anxious. And because our anxiety has gotten the best of us, because of our fear has been so lodged in our hearts, we live the way of control. We live the way of manipulation. We live the way of coercion. And yet you are inviting us to open our hands to receive your love, to live a very human existence, to trust in you. 
May we be people this day who open our hands and trust in King Jesus. For only he can bear the weights of the world. Lord, we sing to you now as a response, words of praise, of worship. We sing Alleluia. It's in Christ's name we pray. And everyone said, let's all stand, let's sing together. is our declaration this day. Let's have the prayer team come to my right. We end our gatherings with prayer because one of the ways that we experience the freedom of God is through the body of Christ and as we pray and intercede for one another. And so I imagine in this room 
Some of you are carrying anxiety, deep fear. Life isn't unfolding the way that you want it to. People around you aren't making the kind of decisions that you want them to. And the invitation is really to a way of open hands before our Lord. Wisdom, prayer, ultimately trust before our Lord. And yet to do that is incredibly difficult, which is why we need one another. There's something that resonated in your soul as I was preaching today. After the closing blessing, feel free to come up and one of our prayer team members would love to pray for you. At the end of our service, we have a sermon discussion time. For those of you watching online, be a 30-minute time. One of our pastors will be facilitating that. And if you just want to have a little conversation about the sermon and the ways that the Lord is speaking to you, we'll do that for about 30 minutes. So feel free to sign up uh, on the link, whether it's on Facebook, uh, newlife.nyc, or YouTube. We'd love to connect with you there. I imagine in this room or someone watching online, you've been living a life of grasping your entire life. And you're hearing news that you don't have to live this kind of existence anymore. The, the process from going here to there is really what we call faith. Faith in Christ. A life of, I don't have to hold everything together because Christ does. A life that I don't have to control everything. Christ is king. A life that I don't have to manipulate and coerce everything. No, no, God is good. And if you're sensing God calling you to follow his son, Jesus, we'd love to help you take that next step. Our prayer team, if there's something that is resonating in your soul and you want to say yes to Jesus Christ, you want to surrender your life, or you have questions about what it means to follow Jesus, you can come up for prayer. You can also text that phrase, yes to Jesus, to that number on the screen, that's 718 424 and one of our pastors would love to follow up with you and help you start your journey or continue your journey as it relates to following Christ. Let us serve you along those lines. As we end, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. I'll be downstairs with our pastors uh, to greet those of you if you're new to our congregation uh, or if, you have, if this is your first time in a long time. I'd love to uh, meet you downstairs and, and say hello. So please. Uh, feel free to stop by before you close, before you head out. Let me bless you all. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that Christ is enough. And if you are in Christ, you are enough. May you live a free existence, a joyful existence, an open-handed existence. May your life be flooded by the peace of God. And may you offer that peace and joy to the world around you. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the abundant name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said... Amen. Grace and peace to you all.